Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact. Welcome back, everybody. And now in our familiar Thursday afternoon slot, we have the brand father, Jeremy Sampson. And we're going to be talking through a variety of topics today. Well, quite frankly, we've got a sport for choice. There's the Sona, there's Taylor Swift, there's the NFL, there's the Super Bowl. There are a whole variety of things that we could talk about. Let's get started with having a look at this Taylor Swift NFL branding phenomenon that that is happening right before us hello dawn and hello your listeners good to be with you as always yes it's interesting isn't it because i think a couple of years ago people would say well she's a pop star and what else is she but what she's done through her concerts is it eras or eras um, era yeah the, the era. money she has generated is absolutely mind-boggling and she's become a phenomenon um added to that now is that um apparently she's currently dating uh, an american football player from uh the final of the npl as it nfl on uh, sunday and uh, here she is dashing across to japan to do some concerts and coming back and people saying will she be back in time for the super bowl and uh, you were telling me earlier that even the the japanese embassy has put out a, a note to say oh yes she will be back no, it's quite incredible how she's almost hogging um, the high lines, as it were. And then on top of it all, we hear that she might, in fact, get involved in the American presidential election. It's very interesting that um, when you think that there are several states where um, the count to one party or the other is less than 40,000. Now, she has the power through her magneticism and what she's doing and if you're a swifty or not and i'm not going to ask you dawn um but uh, she has the power to swing a vote and uh, apparently this is being discussed more and more openly and it's it's quite interesting because in branding terms that brings to light the the whole aspect of celebrity endorsement of a brand so apparently the betting money is that she might swing behind biden largely to block Trump. But who knows? We'll have to see. And I think some people are, are de debating it and discussing it, asking if she will overtly get involved. Because if you go back a little way to a certain President Obama, of course, the decisive factor apparently on him becoming president was the involvement of uh, Oprah Winfrey, who didn't just support him um, through words. She actually physically appeared alongside him. And apparently, a lot of people argue that that was decisive in those few swing states that can make all the difference. It's very interesting because obviously Oprah Winfrey's star has somewhat faded since then, and she's made some public relations faux pas uh, recently. Um, but Taylor Swift is well known for promoting voter registration. She's already been doing voter registration. And of course, the Swifties who are run into their millions are mostly young people and maybe people who will be voting for the very first time. Hence, the getting them involved in the registration process so that they can, in fact, vote. And then, I mean, if she's encouraged them to actually get registered for voting, you know, then the next step is that they're likely to follow in, in her suit. So it's going to be interesting to see from, from that perspective. But the merging, the sheer merging of the, the, the Swifty, the Swift brand 
and the NFL to me is absolutely fascinating. I mean, in some of the stuff that we've seen coming out of Japan, that era's tour actually generated $230 million uh, just in this week on on, on those three days. That, you know, just those three days, just her concert. That is huge pulling power. Well, apparently, um, I heard that originally there were cities in the United States asking her agent to organize concerts in their cities because of the pulling power she has. Um, Because obviously people come into town from out of town, stay in the hotels, restaurants, bars, etc., and now it's expanded to, as we're seeing, cities from around the world. So it's not just an American phenomenon now. Mm-hmm. And here we are seeing in Japan, you know, halfway around the other side of the world. So what she's doing, uh, she's rewriting the rule book, if I can put it that way, um, because she is so powerful. She has such a following. And when you think that um, the NFL, they reckon that the television viewing is well over 100 million people. And I'd have thought she's now adding on top of that. And it'll be interesting if she tries to keep in the shadows, although that's virtually impossible, isn't it? I'm sure she's going to make some appearances. And by appearances, I mean just being seen in the crowd. But that adds to the magnetism, as it were, of not only her, but the NFL. You know, um, there was an interview that came out earlier today with um, uh, Jason and uh, Travis Kelsey's mother, who is the sort of considered to be the force behind those those brothers, those NFL brothers, um, saying, you know, are you and Taylor going to be sitting next to each other in a box? And she said, those boxes cost millions. You're going to find me in the stands. It's going to be, <laughs> you know. But the thing is that we know somebody who has got millions, and I would could probably drop a few million without even batting an eyelid. So that's going to be, you know, very interesting to see. But, you know, I think from the the sheer family dynamics and bringing in the family and these wholesome family values that, you know, we used to think were part of the sort of republic Republican repertoire. But, you know, this is a phenomenon that has embraced those those family values, despite the fact that it's you know, pop stars and this kind of thing, which are not normally associated with family values. And what a lovely escapism from the world of politics in the United States and the run-up to those elections, which is still, what, 10 months away, nine months away in the first week of November. So um, it'll be great, and I'm sure it'll be a celebration, and hopefully it'll be a celebration of all things wholesome, including an extremely good game of uh, American football. Yes, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be. But while we're talking about Japan, and, and uh, I know one of the things that is actually happening, I was just managed to catch it on some TV, is that it's a Chinese New Year. And, yeah. you know, for really for the, the first sort of really solid New Year since zero COVID at the end of the day, since zero COVID was abandoned by the by the Chinese. And a large number of those Chinese are flying to Japan this weekend. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. because, uh, and there you have the, the pulling power. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. But obviously, China's been in the doldrums a bit. Um, and, you know, Kobe Lachranchi, you know, the, the founder of Rexalom, and I were talking about this on our podcast is that the, the sticking point when it comes to China seems to be Xi. 
And the fact that he is no longer sort of adhering to the terms of, you know, only being in power for, for two terms has abandoned that and is becoming a de facto absolute dictator. Um, and that is one of the big changes. And there was a very interesting interview with Hillary Clinton where she um, emphasized exactly that. She said the difference between now and when she was Secretary of State, I think she was, was she? Yes, um, yeah. That it, that back then you, it was much easier to deal with the Chinese and to build up a rapport because you didn't have this entrenched philosophy because those terms expired, and you got fresh blood coming in. You got fresh, you know, you get you got an evolution of the the sort of towards capitalism. And Xi has put a put an end to that. Uh, what are your sort of feelings around you know this whole deglobalization and de-risking and you know decoupling from China? Um, from you know, as a, a from a brand perspective, they seem to be you know walking backwards. Very, very interesting question. Um, and without getting into the political area, you know, you make a very interesting point. I think Xi Jinping was meant to retire at the age of seventy. I remember when he was in Johannesburg um, for the um, BRICS um, meeting. It was fascinating to see that everyone uh, of the top five, and then the head of the United Nations flew in as well were all well over the age of 70. Um, but China is fascinating. Uh, no, it's still an enigma in many, many ways. It's still struggling perhaps with its history. Um, yes, it's an absolute monster of a superpower going into the year of the dragon on, on Saturday. So that'll be something for them all to really celebrate. But it perhaps comes as a shock to some of your listeners to hear how many people from China are flying to Japan to see Taylor Swift. No, who would have thought that as well? And it just shows you how perhaps with the younger people, China is changing. And this is where any country where you have lots and lots of young people, um, but on the top politically, you have people over the age of 70. And I think not just of China, but a place like Iran, um, and to a lesser extent, Russia, then it's becoming more and more combustible because those youngsters, those younger people, are becoming increasingly citizens of the world. They're connected through technology. They're seeing what's going on in the rest of the world. And that creates the move for a sea change. And we've seen the violence in Israel. So not as, well, yes, Israel, but especially Iran, where the authorities still keep clamping down on the younger people. And you know, I was in Iran very briefly on business about 12, 13 years ago. And it was one of the things that surprised me I, when I was told that something like half the population was in those days under the age of 20 or so, very similar to Africa. So you've got younger people coming up who have aspirations. They want to change things. They want a better life. They want jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's going to exert pressure on the top. So coming back to China, watch this space. Um, yes, during COVID, um, they went through a difficult time and perhaps they made it more difficult for themselves than they need have. But now they're slowly but surely coming out of that. So I think watch this space. Getting on to our very own dog and pony show, the Sona, that is happening the, this evening. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Look, in the world of branding, there is a saying that a brand is a promise made and a promise kept. I'm afraid when you look at the brand, whether it's the government, the ANC, Cyril Ramaphosa, I think it was at the Daily Maverick who ran a piece a couple of days ago where they actually listed 
a whole range of promises made by the president last year and giving him a score of what had been achieved. And it wasn't a very pretty scorecard. And this is where we've now had 30 years of the same party um, in power, uh, propped up by two other elements, people forget, the SACP and Casato. And where are we today? In many, many ways, we have gone totally backwards. We're totally in the doldrums. And I think increasingly people are realizing that. Uh, I'm afraid still in some areas, people will vote along racial lines. But slowly, slowly but surely, I think that is being turned aside as people want the best people to run the country. And that's our challenge at the moment by having this 30-year period and before that, what, 40-odd years of apartheid, sometimes we haven't got the best people coming to the surface. This is where I think more and more government has got to accept that they need the private sector to come in and work alongside them and help change things. And of course, the glaring example of that in many ways is Transnet, which is absolutely strangling the country at the moment when it comes to the ports, the railway lines and general logistics to the point that we can't uh, get our exports of minerals out of the country, our exports of fruit and wine out of the country, and the litany goes on and on and on. So he'll say very nice things. He'll be very gracious, I'm sure, and he'll smile. Um, but, you know, we want action. And I'm afraid from his track record, that's something that we can only dream about. Yes, unfortunately, you know, Jeremy, I'm one of the other guests that is on today's show, we've been talking about the NHI. Um, and, and I mean, that's another whole sob story that still has to be completely unpacked and is going to result in constitutional challenges and goodness knows what else. But mm. um, I, I think probably, you know, the, the substance always comes in the budget rather than in the sonar. So, but it'll be interesting, uh, maybe just to catch the highlights. I'm certainly not going to watch the whole thing, that's for sure. So yeah. just before we wrap up, Jeremy, do you want to just have a word about the late um, Andy Rice? I would indeed. Um, some people, I think some of your listeners, especially those in the Western Cape, will know of Andy because, first of all, he was a larger-than-life figure. He was, uh, I think, about six foot seven or so and andy had a background in advertising like me he comes from uh, climbs to the north and um, he built himself a significant career in the world of advertising as head of strategy at ogilvy and you know, his career blossomed uh, setting up a consultancy called yellowwood and also much in demand as a judge and as a public speaker so a very significant figure in the world of advertising, marketing, and brands. And sadly, he passed away on Tuesday. He hadn't been well for some time. Um, I last saw him at a, a Rand Merchant Bank concert where we were sitting beside each other. And uh, in fact, I took a photograph of his wife putting a, a blanket over his knees to keep him warm. And strangely, when I looked at the pictures the next day, I found that we were sitting one row, well, one row ahead of a certain Carolyn Stain, who was sitting incognito behind us. But Andy was one of those figures who had a fantastic brain, fantastic wit. Uh, I don't think he had an enemy anywhere, other than me at times, because I found that in doing expert witness work for lawyers in the world of branding, often I found he and I on different sides. I think sometimes if he was in place, they'd bring me in. 
And sometimes if I was in place, they would bring him in. And the fact that he's only 72 when he passed. So very young, um, absolute tribute to him and condolences to Bev and family. Um, it's a sad loss for the whole South African industry. It's always sad when we lose one of the stalwarts of, of our industry. And, you know, with you and I both getting older, we get so many more of our friends and colleagues that we lose yeah. every year. Thank you so much for that, Jeremy. Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact.